Have you ever been the other, uh, the, 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 the new person, the person who doesn't fit in, the one who doesn't know all of the, the, the rules, the secret handshakes? Uh, when I started the ninth grade, um, I started my eighth school in, in, when I started the ninth grade. My father was a pastor, and while he had some long pastorates, he had a series of pastorates that were a couple of years, or there were changes. Uh, one church built a parsonage, and it made me change school districts and all of that kind of stuff. And, and, and so, I started the ninth grade in my eighth different school. And in this particular high school where I was starting, uh, they had a, a policy. Uh, that was that uh, new students would be put in the homeroom with the smallest number, all right? So what, whatever homeroom had the smallest number of students, the new students were put there. And uh, so when I went to, to check in, register, go to school, they assigned me and another guy uh, to the homeroom with the smallest number. But someone somewhere in the school system had decided on that particular year, for the first time in the history of that school, to have a boy's ninth grade homeroom and a girl's ninth grade homeroom. And beating all the odds all over the world, uh, there were more guys than girls in my high school class, which meant that the other guy and I who registered on the first day of school, we, we were assigned to a homeroom full of 28 girls. At 14 years of age, this is either heaven or hell. You're not sure which one it is, all right? Um, I mean, by the end of the year, I have to tell you, I mean, adolescence was kicking in. It wasn't all bad, all right, to, to be in the homeroom with all the girls. But, but the first few, first few weeks, I was like, I don't have any sisters. Uh, I, I really… I, I, it was closer to hell than heaven. I'll just be real honest with you. And, and, and I just didn't know. I mean, they would always, they'd come up and they'd ask me things. And, and I was, this is hard for some people to believe, but actually I was rather an introvert at that age and, and, a, and a little bit shy. Uh, that homeroom changed all of that, all right? Just completely changed that. But in that place, I remember being so uncomfortable because I was like the other. I, I moved from, from Texas to Mississippi. I, I didn't know all of the social mores. I, I didn't understand some of the language. Uh, I mean, they, they spoke differently than where I'd come from. And, and so I was just trying to fit in. And, and, I, and I remember just constantly feeling like the other. I was the guy that didn't fit in. And, and as I've looked at life over the years since then, I've I, I realized that, quite honestly, we live in a world where everybody feels that way. <laughs> right now, the world is so, so in confusion and so much turmoil that, that lots and lots, if not the majority of people, feel as if we are the other. And then what our world has done is our world has it has divided us even further with the angst and, and the anger and the, the sense of, of being one versus the other instead of being together. And, and so, as I look at what it means to follow Jesus, I discover that Jesus was continually reaching out to people who thought they were the other and, and showing them that they were indeed His, that they were indeed people that He loved. And it wasn't just that he reached to the poor, he reached to the rich. 
It wasn't that he reached to the educated, he reached to the uneducated. It wasn't that he just reached to the people who were from his, his own clan and his own tribe, but he reached to people who were from other places and other tribes and, and who looked differently. And suddenly in the world that Jesus came to initiate, in this kingdom of God, then there's the reality that, that actually none of us is the other. We are all his but getting to that place is hard when the society around you and the circumstances around you are constantly making you feel as if you don't fit. You are the other. And there's a story in, in the book of Acts in the first century church that, that illustrates that better than just almost any story that I know. It's a story that's recorded for us in Acts chapter 10, and it, it involves two men both of whom had the, the opportunity, both of whom had the perspective that they were the other. The one is a guy we know pretty well. His name is Peter, uh, Simon Peter. He was a fisherman uh, along with some business partners, James and John, um, and they, they followed Jesus and his earthly life. And, and if you read the Gospels, uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, you, you find a lot of stories about Peter. But, but in Peter's world, Peter would not have been included in the synagogue schools. Peter would, was, was not one who was from the big city. P Peter was not one of the elite of anything except that in him, Jesus saw something amazing. He saw this, this man who would say what he wanted to say and then end up changing because of what Jesus said. And, and, he, and he saw this man who could be formed into someone strong and someone great, but only after he failed tremendously. And so Jesus looked at Peter. In fact, his, his original given name is Simon. And Peter is a, a name Jesus gave him about the rock. And, and he said, you know what, Simon, I'm going to make you from who you are into who you can be because you're not, you're not the other. You are my son. I love you. And Simon Peter became a leader in the life of the church in the New Testament. And in the book of Acts, we see him doing lots and lots of amazing things, leading the people. And that's why we were talking about him just last week in Acts chapter 9, where, where he's doing things that were beyond anything Simon ever thought of doing. But Simon Peter trusted Jesus in a way that Jesus did miracles in his life. But the story isn't just about Simon. Because you see, Simon Peter, Simon Peter would have felt like he was the other because he was a fisherman and he was Jewish and he didn't belong to the overarching culture that was the Roman culture. But the other guy, his name is Cornelius. And Cornelius is an officer in the Roman army. He's a centurion, which was about like in, in, in the military grades now, would be about like a captain. In fact, historians tell us that, that Romans, uh, military personnel, when they were looking to promote men up to be uh, centurions, what they were looking for was, they weren't looking for somebody who was going to go start the war and charge. They were looking for somebody who could lead men and lead men to stand firm. And so in some ways, Cornelius the centurion and Simon Peter, they were two men who were leaders, and they were both men who amazingly amazingly knew God. Simon Peter knew Jesus. Cornelius knew Yahweh, God. Even though he was Roman, 
He, he was what was referred to as a God-fearer. He, the, the Romans gave their citizens freedom to, to check out different things, and even their soldiers who were in occupying forces, as Cornelius was with his group of men that he, he had with him. He actually was of such prestige that he could actually bring his family from Rome and have them with him in a place called Caesarea. And, and Cornelius was this, was this Roman centurion who who actually knew about the Jewish God, in fact, was, was so moved by what he saw in the teachings of this Jewish God that he himself began to pray to that God. He began to follow the teachings of Yahweh. He began to be intrigued by the Jewish faith. But, but he would have been the other. In fact, in, in fact it, was, it was a lot of animosity between the Jewish people and the Roman people because the Romans were the overarching governing power, the occupying force. And any person who's oppressed, any person who is in the minority, any person who feels suppressed by the majority, that person has a built-in sense of, I'm from the other. I'm not from the people who belong. And, and so the Jewish people despised the Romans. And here's Cornelius, an officer in the Roman military. And he was the other to the Jewish people. And here's Simon Peter, and he's the other to the Roman people. And Jesus, Jesus decides to take these two guys and expand their worldview. And in doing so, to expand the worldview of anyone who would follow Jesus for the rest of eternity. Listen to the story. It's in Acts chapter 10. It starts with Cornelius' story. He's in Caesarea. Listen. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort, a devout man who feared God with all his household, gave alms generously to the people, and prayed continually to God. About the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God come in and say to him, Cornelius, and he stared at him in terror. I mean, it's 3 o'clock in the afternoon. He's not drunk. He's not asleep. And some angel shows up. He looks at him in terror and says, what is it, sir? And the angel said to him, your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God, before Yahweh. And now send men to Joppa and bring one Simon who is called Peter He is lodging with another man named Simon, a tanner whose house is by the seaside. When the angel who spoke to him had departed, Cornelius called two of his servants and a devout soldier from among those who attended to him, and having relayed everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. So here he is, Cornelius in his home in Caesarea, in the midst of his life, praying, being generous to the poor, trusting this, this Jewish God, Yahweh, and, and an angel breaks into his world. At the same time, at the same time, if you take the camera and shift in your mind's eye now from Caesarea, go over to Joppa, where Simon Peter is. Simon Peter's been there for a while after he performed the miracles in Lydda and then came to Joppa He stayed there for a while. And now, the next day, after Cornelius sends his guys over from Caesarea, the next day, as those men were traveling on their journey and approaching Joppa, Peter 
goes up on the housetop where he's staying about the sixth hour, about noon, to pray. And he became hungry and wanted something to eat. But while they were preparing something for him to eat, he fell into a trance and saw the heavens open and something like a great sheet descending, being let down by its four corners upon the earth. In it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. And there came a voice to him, rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, by no means, God, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice came to him a second time. What God has made clean, do not call common. Remember that. This happened three times. And then the thing was taken up at once into heaven. Now, while Peter was inwardly perplexed as to what the vision he had seen might mean, behold, the men who were sent from Cornelius, having made inquiry for Simon's house, stood at the gate and called out to ask whether Simon, who was called Peter, was lodging there. And while Peter was pondering the vision, the the Spirit said to him, Behold, three men are looking for you. Rise and go down and accompany them without hesitation, for I have sent them. And Peter went down to the men and said, I am the one you're looking for. What is the reason for your coming? What is the reason for your coming? You see, the reason that they don't even know, the reason that the angel spoke to Cornelius, the reason that Peter had the vision is because God has decided that no one is going to be the other anymore. That what people call unclean, he's going to make clean. That what people call common, uh, no, he's not going to let his creation be treated that way. What God has decided to do is to break down the walls between two groups of people who literally despised each other. And he's going to use a soldier and a fisherman. There might not be a more apropos time in all of our human existence than this time to rehear that story, to find out what it is in this story that, that allows our worldview to be expanded in such a way that we can see that God is about the business of taking the others and making them the family, about breaking down the walls between people, regardless of who's erected the walls, regardless of how high they are, and bringing people together in spite of the differences. Because you see, It's important for us to know that we were not created for this. We were created for more than this. We were not created for anger and hatred and violence. We were created for much more than that. We were created to to bring peace and grace and mercy. You were created for that. And in these days, in these days in 2020, in the midst of a global pandemic, in the midst of a global economic upheaval, in the midst of a political divisiveness, unlike any that we've seen in our nation in several decades, it might be time to hear the story of a centurion and a fisherman and know that it's our story too. So let's look at it today. Let's take a few minutes and look at a pattern that's very, very important. I would suggest that it could actually be the pattern that redeems 
us as the church and redeems the culture we live in. It would expand our worldview that much. Here's the first thing. Look, God uses prayer as the preparation place for changing hearts. Even though Cornelius was a Roman, did you hear the way he's described? In his following of Yahweh, he, he, he's become a, this man of, uh, who, who prays continually. Yes, he gives alms. Yes, he's a generous man. Yes, he's a person of high character, and, and he's trusted by his overseers, but, but he is a man who is praying continually, so much so that when the angel speaks to him, you remember what the angel said? The angel said, hey, Cornelius, your almsgiving and your prayers have ascended in such a way. I mean, look, look at it. There was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort, a devout man who feared God with all of his household, his family, gave alms generously to the poor, and prayed continually to God. So he's in Caesarea praying. Peter is in Joppa. Remember what Peter was doing? The next day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the housetop about the sixth hour to pray. Now, praying is not just crying out to God, oh, God, give me what I want. No, 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 no. 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 Praying is communication with God in which we learn what He wants for us. Uh, as Peter's up in the heat of the day, about noon, on the rooftop, the coolest place it could be, in, in the house of a tanner. I don't know if you've ever been around people who work with leather and, 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 and the, the heat that's needed in part of that process, the curing of that. And they needed the salt water, they needed the water uh, and the supply of water in Joppa. It's a part of the process with, with a tanner and what he does with, the, with that. But here's, here's Simon Peter and, and the, there's heat and he goes up and, and you can see the ocean or the sea and you can see the ships and the, the canvas and the sails and and God decides to use all of those things to say, hey, Peter, look, while you're praying, I just want to show you something. You've been so faithful. You've done things like you'd say, I'd never touch anything that's unclean. But Peter, listen to me. I'm about to make some things clean. See, just like God spoke to Cornelius, who was praying continually, God spoke to Peter, and God will speak to you and me. But he only speaks to us if we listen. I mean, he's speaking, we just don't hear. And so prayer is that preparation place where, where as we pray, as we learn to listen, perhaps you could hear for the first time, either from God's Word or from His Spirit within you, or both, and your heart be changed. See, I, I think that, that the answer to what's going to happen in this country is going to come when people pray. That, 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 that's, that's something not that we pray for our team to win, okay? This isn't like the prayer that athletes pray before the, before the, before the game. You know, I, I, I spent a lot of years as an athlete. I, I remember those prayers, okay? We're going to pray the Lord's Prayer, gentlemen. It went something like this. There's, the athletes add an addendum to the Lord's Prayer. Really, we do. It goes something like this. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us and lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Let's win! Let's win is not in the prayer, y'all. It's not there. 
can, can, can I tell you, this preparation prayer is the place where we hear the Word of God speaking to our life, where we hear the voice of God saying, hey, I need you to do something, and we have to act on it. See, the next thing that happens is God invites us to obedience as the first step on the journey of connecting to the other. Uh, obedience is the first step in connecting to the other. Uh, what, what happened for Cornelius was he had to pull a couple of servants and a, and a young officer that he trusted, and, and he tells them all of this. Hey, I've had a vision. I, I've talked to an angel. You've got to have, when you, when you tell somebody you've talked to an angel or an angel's talked to you, you might want to have somebody you trust. And he says, hey, I trust them. And so he, he, he sends them. For, for, for Peter, well, it's this decision. Am I, am I going to listen to God? I mean, look at the Scriptures again. When the angel spoke to Cornelius to party, he called the two servants, devout soldier from among those who attended to him, and having related everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. He was obedient. And while Peter was pondering the vision, the Spirit said to him, Behold, three men are looking for you. Rise and go down and accompany them without hesitation, for I have sent them. And Peter went down to the men and said, I'm the one you're looking for. What is the reason for your coming? And they said, Cornelius, a centurion, an upright and God-fearing man, who's well spoken of by the whole Jewish nation, was directed by a holy angel to send for you to come to his house and to hear what you have to say. So he invited them in to be his guest. The next day he rose and went away with them. Some of the brothers from Joppa accompanied him. And on the following day they entered Caesarea. I want you to understand that if we're going to embrace the other, if we're going to allow God to bring people together, then we have to be people who prayer makes a change in our heart. And we have to be people who take the first step of obedience. The first step is obedience. In a couple of weeks, if you're a citizen of this nation, which many of most of us are, and you're over the age of 18, and you can vote, I'm going to encourage you to vote. In fact, I'm going to encourage you to vote with your conscience as a follower of Jesus Christ. And that's what I'm going to tell you. I'm not going to tell you who to vote for. I'm not going to empower one or the other. I'm going to tell you to pray. I'm going to tell you to be obedient. And I'm going to tell you to vote. And I'm going to remind you. I will remind you of this for the next two Sundays as well as today. And that is this, on November the 4th, which is the Wednesday after the Tuesday election, I want you to understand something I know. I have no idea who will win what election in this country. But here's what I do know. On November the 4th, God will still be God. Jesus will still be on the throne. The kingdom of God is not changed by who gets elected in any country, in any nation, anywhere. The kingdom of God is God's kingdom. And you and I are called to be citizens in it. And we're called as citizens to embrace the other. Even if you're a donkey, you've got to re-embrace the elephant. Even if you're an elephant, you've got to embrace the donkey. Because we have all been embraced by the Lion of Judah, who is the Lamb of God. Understand that. It's His kingdom that we pray to come. It's His world. And He's asking us to be people who pray and listen. And he's asking us to be people who are obedient to follow what he tells us. But, but how we do it is huge. And there's something in this story. It's a little piece. If you just read it too fast, you'll miss it. So I want to call it to your attention. And that's this. Humility is the path we walk to communicate 
Humility is the path we walk to, to, to the communication of Jesus as the Christ. If we're going to communicate Jesus as the Christ, then, then, then we have to walk in humility. And it's in this story. It's, it's a powerful image. I, I hope it's a mental picture you can take away from today. And I hope it's something that will grab hold of your soul. Look at it as, as, as it's recorded in Acts chapter 10. On the following day, they entered Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. When Peter entered, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. I want you to get that mental image. This is Cornelius. He is a Roman centurion. He's a part of the occupying force of Rome. He has all the power of Rome at his disposal. He meets Peter, a Jewish fisherman who's been a follower of Jesus. And Cornelius, the person of power and position, falls in front of Peter. That's humility. But there's even more humility. Look at it. But Peter lifted him up, saying, stand up, I too am a man. And as he talked with him, he went in and found many people gathered. See, the fact of the matter is, our prayer that prepares our heart, that leads us to take the first step of obedience, is leading us down a pathway of humility, a pathway of humility that that leads us to other people to communicate to them who Jesus is, And there's this mental image for me that I will never lose as long as I live of of a Roman captain, a Roman centurion kneeling, falling on his face in front of a fisherman and the fisherman saying, don't worship me. I know an angel sent your people after me. I I know you're being obedient. I, I know you're no longer the other. And if you read Acts chapter 10 and Acts chapter 11, which I encourage you to do this week. I'm not going to take time today to go through all of it with you, but, but I want you to read it this week. Spend some time in it and let it sink in because what God sent Peter to, to, to tell them was who Jesus is. And when Peter sees all of these people And he goes, oh, this is why you brought me here. Okay, let me tell you about who Jesus is. And he begins to tell them about what Jesus has done. And at the end of that, he's communicating who Jesus is. And communication of Jesus as the Christ creates community between us and the others of our life. I mean, he opens up his dialogue with them saying, hey, you guys know I'm Jewish. I'm not even supposed to be in this house. You know what I'm losing by reputation by coming into the house of a Roman centurion. But I'm here because God told me, never call what he has made clean, unclean. My friends, you and I have been called just like Peter and just like Cornelius to no longer view others as the other but to view each other as the family of God, living in obedience and humility to Jesus the Christ so that we can communicate to the people around us. I mean, look at the Scripture. While Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word, and the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. For they were hearing them speaking in tongues or languages and extolling God. 
And then Peter declared, can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked him to remain for some days. Peter saw God bring the other into relationship because of his willingness to let God change his heart. I think perhaps that is the call that has been so relevant in 2020 for all of us. It's for us to find the place of prayer that changes our heart. To take the step of obedience on a path of humility so that we can clearly communicate to others that they don't have to be the other. They don't have to be alienated from us or from God anymore. But that instead, we can all be the family of God. Word of what had happened in Caesarea got back to Jerusalem. And at first, the, the, other, uh, the other apostles and the disciples in Jerusalem were not real thrilled with, with Peter until Peter explained what had happened. And then look what happened to them. When they heard these things, they fell silent. They fell silent. And then they glorified God, saying, Then to the Gentiles also, God has granted repentance that leads to life. Would you pray with me? Abba, Papa, forgive us for the times when we've alienated others. Forgive us for the times when we felt like we were the other. Today, today we ask you to call all of us to changed hearts and obedient steps on the path of humility to be able to communicate clearly to a broken, angry world who you are and how much you love us. For it's in the strong name of Jesus that we pray. Amen.